This is this is like a full on experiment in human and horse flesh. Welcome to another episode of Three Men in a War Game. I'm Paul, and this time I got to be the one that caused the half a turn of infinity. Hello, uh, my name is Kevin. I always crit my arrows, Chopic. <laughs> uh, and this is Potter, and I like to go in Lawsuit Lieutenant in turn one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, infinity is a harsh mistress. It is. Mm-hmm. That was indeed. Uh, that was a brutal Prepar- game the other day. Uh, it was fun. I, it was I, fun. Well, it was brutal. It was fun. No, I, 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 I was almost as miserable as you were because you were miserable. I wasn't miserable. It just sucked, but I wasn't miserable. Yeah. I mean, I made some mistakes. Some lessons were learned, and uh, we'll move on and play again. All right. Good. And then next time you can kick my butt. We'll play Code 1 so I can do that. <laughs> I'm a little bit better at Code 1, apparently. Well, fire teams are a bitch. Yeah. All right, cool. well, you know what? You know what? Since we've been around for a while, since we've been back, we haven't talked hobby. So let's take a moment and uh, discuss our hobby progresses. Chops, what have you been up to? I ain't done shit. I'm just kidding. Um, I was like, that's a lie. It's kind of not, though. Um, since the last time we talked, I really haven't done much. I painted Daredevil and Kingpin. Um, I put together the guacamole crater gators for <laughs> <Yes>. Blood Bowl. <laughs> Best name and, ever. Yeah, so good. Uh, and I have my test crater gator painted uh, and based. And I'm ready to start slamming through them. And hopefully I can finish the entire team before I get my Greyjoys. And that'll give me... Um, a good creative boost right before I get into what will probably be the biggest paint project I've ever embarked on. I thought your Greyjoys came in this weekend. They got delayed by Asmodee until the middle of May. So, middle of May? Yeah. That yes. happened like a month ago, guys. God. Dang, I thought it was... I thought they came out... Well, I guess... They're, yeah, the they're supposed to be out on Friday. Friday is when they were supposed to come out, but I got a shipping notification... I got a notification from Miniature Market about three weeks ago that was like, hey, we just want to let you know these releases were held back or delayed or whatever, and you'll, it'll probably be mid-May, so... God, that sucks. Yeah, they need um, to fix their American distribution, because, yeah, I know all the, uh, the UK people I see on Twitter and... Yeah, Instagram. they've already got they the got dragons. Theirs. They've yeah. got the dragons too, and we still don't have those. So yep. it's um, it's just a matter of the U.S. distribution issues. I'll get them when I get them. But between now and then, I've got some guacamole crater graders to paint, and I really love these sculpts. Like I've always wanted to paint Saris models or whatever the hell GW calls them now, lizard men, um, and I. Seraphon, there it is. Sorry, my brain was bad. But I really, I really love these models. Like, I love that they have like shoulder pads and stuff, like a, a football player would, but the shoulder pads are made of like solid gold. <laughs> um, so, anyway, a big fan. I'm looking forward to painting them. Cool. What about you? How about Paul? you, Chris? Oh, you want, you want me to go first? Yeah, man. Well, um, 
I have been painting some A Song of Ice and Fire as well, uh, getting some Champions of the Stag painted up um, for our preparations for some future gamage. Awesome. Anything else? Nah. We all know I suck painting. Bullshit. You painted other stuff. You at least started other stuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. I did work on some uh, military order stuff the other day. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. I forgot. I forgot. Don't short yourself some credit there. I forgot. It's been a long time. How about you, Paul? Yeah, what are you Uh, painting? uh, All kinds of shit. Uh, I I didn't paint for about two months. Um, Took some time off from that, so... Uh, got back on the hobby horse though, and I am current. I'm I'm working on multiple things right now. I'm working on four infinity infinity models. So I'm trying to finish up the uh, Umbra that I kind of got one color on way back in the beginning of February, um, and I'm also working on my Icadron and Imatron. And those guys are have all their base colors on, and the purple is shaded. So I need to still shade the yellow and then highlight them. Um, and then I'm working on another project, um, because some asshole bought me, um, <laughs> the, uh, Targaryen starter. So now I'm painting some horsey man, Mini faces. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, that dude's an asshole, are, man. If you listen to our episode last week, you know, you know what the time it is. Yeah. <laughs> Why we're excited. Yeah. So, yeah. So with, with that, uh, you know, coming into updates and I've been, I've been looking at the updates, and uh, they've been pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, some asshole brought me these, and I feel I should paint them. You should, because they're sweet, dude. That, that it's not, it's not that many models. It's 14 fucking horses, Kevin! That's a lot of horses. That's a lot of horses. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm it's not crazy. many models, but it's a lot of horses. I'm going yeah. crazy on four. They're they're big models, I know. It's, it's, I, I painted, I painted eight... Yeah, I painted eight Bolton horses, all the same, like all the same scheme. It's just like, but you, but then again, you, it's like so much skin on your my, ho- my horses. My so, horses are naked. Like the ones yeah, that Potter's no painting are like completely barded and there's like knees down and the nose. Yeah. So, hey, I, got, I, is, got ta- yeah. I got tails. I got tails. This is, this is like a full on experiment yeah, a- in human and horse flesh painting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you, we're gonna you're gonna have to just have the uh, stinger be. This is a whole experiment in human and horse flesh. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's well, too funny out of context. We'll we'll use it as the intro. How's that? <laughs> that I don't know. Because then then people will be really confused what we're talking no, I was about. Like they may turn this episode off, <laughs> or they'll be really interested in going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> All right, but what are we talking about tonight, Paul? For real, for real. For real, for real, this is uh, a special night for you, Kevin, because I know, I know you've been dying for this probably since December. Oh man, I don't know. I don't, I'm worse than a crossfitting vegan yeah, right now. Right? You, you're right. You're right. This is this is your like crossfit veganism here. Oh you, you are the guy that will walk up to somebody in the urinal and and the bathroom and go right next to the urinal and say, "Hey, you ever play Flesh and Blood?" <laughs> It's, 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 I'm only laughing because it's not totally false. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so tonight we're talking, we're, we're taking a little left turn from wargaming and going to Kevin's secret, uh, passion, which is collectible card games or, uh, 
TCGs, know, trading TCGs. card games. Um, yeah. So yeah, so this is one that that Kevin has latched onto and sings the praises of it from every rooftop that has ever existed. It's true. Um, so flesh and blood. Uh, well, we got to do a little bit of history, right? Because like, and not a not a long dive, but just to say that my my hook into hobby gaming was Magic the Gathering, right? Like. I didn't, I would say I played video games as a child, but the first thing that ever brought me into a hobby comic, whatever store was there was a store called Udo's comics in my uh, hometown. And he started carrying magic, the gathering when I was like nine years old and mm-hmm. I was interested in what it was and bought some packs with my friend, Brian and my friend, Steven. And we just started playing magic f- right from there. Like, and I played obsessively up through high school and then I dropped it completely. And I never have played, I haven't, I've hardly played a game of magic since high school actually. So it's been a long time and I had actually sworn completely off trading card games. I think probably now infamously someone could search the discord and find me saying that I'll never play another CCG or TCG <laughs> because I'm, I'm sure I did at some point in the first year or two that we had the discord. Hey, I know, I know that I have heard it. Right. So I'm as surprised as anybody, but I think what happened is, and and Paul, you know this, I've always played card games, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I wasn't playing magic, I was still, I got really into the the, uh, living card game scene and tried every living card game probably that Fantasy Flight put out because heads up card games are my favorite card games. I obsessively played Netrunner. I I loved both of the Warhammer LCGs. I like the Star Wars one. Um, The Cthulhu one is good too, right? Like they were all really, really good games and lord of the rings. there's like a, right the lord of the rings one but that one's not really heads up but it's still still good really yeah. good game um yeah. but the thing is there's a vacuum left because that mod like as it turns out that model isn't really um good for the, the for the flgs uh and if you want to listen to that there's a podcast called covenant cast by team covenant they do a way better job explaining why the LCG model doesn't really work for retailers. Go seek them out and find that if you want to learn more, but just trust that it doesn't. Um, and there's a vacuum left by it because there really aren't competitive LCGs anymore. The only LCGs that are out are cooperative. Right. Because um, those do still, th- those are still good and marketable because people play home games. They're soloable. Um, there's a, there's a thirst for them. But the thing is that the competitive ones have all but died out and it doesn't look like they're coming back. Mm-hmm. So, um, in that vacuum, uh, has come Flesh and Blood. And Flesh and Blood is a game that's actually been in development since I think 2012 or 2013. And the team that makes it Legend Story Studio spent a lot of time. And, and the, the, to cut this story short and start talking about the game, um, I got curious because there was a, like, a, again, vacuum in my playing. I didn't have a heads up card game. And, you know, every once in a while, my brain is like, hey, I want to play a card game. And it just wasn't one. So I went looking. Um, and this game was blowing up when I started looking at, into games. Like it was exploding. Like it was probably January, February that I first started look, like looking cautiously. Uh, and then March when I really started to look and I bought my first box in March. Um, and right, since hold, on, then, hold on, hold on a second, Kevin. I'm going to stop you there for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, since a lot of us are war gamers and not card gamers, what do you mean when you say a heads up card game? Oh yeah, well, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's 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 start. Let's just start right like like right now. We'll go on to the script that I have written. So, <laughs> Flesh and Blood is a heads up card game, which is which means a two player dueling card game. So 
what that means is two players assemble a deck of cards and you play your, your deck of cards against your opponent's deck of cards. Uh, and that, when I say heads up card game, that is what I mean. Okay. Uh, this game does have a multiplayer format, just like uh, Magic the Gathering has two headed giant as an example, as a, as a multiplayer. And then there are other ones too. Um, and it's also a trading card game. So this is a game with booster packs and boxes and rarities and all of the bad and good things that come with that. And we'll, t- we'll address that at the end of the episode. I do not intend to leave without talking about the negative aspects of this game. Um, because I think while they may not be inherently negative, they will be certainly be negative to certain people. Okay, that's fair. Sounds great. Okay, cool. So let's get into what flesh and blood is and what makes it different. And I want to actually approach this game with the same structure that we approach our war games, because I think there are parallels to be drawn. And I think there is cross appeal with people who like war gaming. Um, okay. Especially if you enter war gaming for the minute to minute intense decision making that war gaming can bring you because that same part of your brain gets activated when you're playing a game like this. So Flesh and Blood is a character-based game. So unlike a game like Magic the Gathering, where in Magic the Gathering, you are the summoner or whatever, right? And you are laying down mana and you're casting spells and you're summoning creatures and you're attacking your opponent until they're dead. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not how this game works. In this game, you play a hero and each hero has a class. And each class has multiple heroes in it, although some don't have more than one yet. It's a, it's a, or it's a new game, right? Right. So, and when I say that, what I mean is we'll, we'll talk about the class Warrior, which is a pretty basic fantasy class. And our Warrior hero that's available broadly right now is Dorinthia. And so if you are playing Warrior, you are probably playing Dorinthia right now because she's the most easily available Warrior class. Or if you're playing Wizard, you are playing Kano because he is the Kano hero that we can play. You guys... That makes sense so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. it, it it draws some parallels to uh, Hearthstone. Sure, because Hearthstone, I think, is the same way. It's like you know, warrior, mage, shaman, druid, and then there's you know specific heroes. Death Knight. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm drawing some parallels here. Got it. And now every hero also has a unique effect on their card. So when you're playing a hero, the the hero affects the cards you can take in your deck and it also affects the weapons you can take and the special ability that that hero has. So that's the the most important thing to say is that this is a hero-based game, so you are going to be selecting a hero that you want to play and every hero has a very different play style. So right now, broadly, I mean, there are more than eight characters available, but in the core sets, there are eight characters that you can play as. So I think it's accurate to say eight. Each of them is a different class, and you can jump into the the class that you like the most, and all eight of them play very differently. Okay. Um, So that's the that's the the like. 30,000 foot view. So now let's talk about it mechanically and why this game is great. And I'm going to, there's no way I can talk about this game without drawing comparisons to magic. So I'm going to have to do it a little bit. Um, and the, the first, and I think perhaps most important part of this game, and the thing that brings it most firmly into modern game design is that every card in flesh and blood is a multi-use card. So the cards in your deck, all of them are different types of cards. You have attack reactions, defense reactions, uh, standard actions, attack actions. There's lots of different cards that you can play, but all of them are multiple use. 
And this is what I mean. Each card and, and generally can be played in one of three ways. And also all, I should say any number of three ways. And what this means is every card has what's called a pitch value. And the pitch value is one, two, or three. And that means you can use that card to pitch it for resources. And then you use those resources to play other cards in your hand. And so all your cards can be pitched for resources. So as you're looking at your hand of cards, you're evaluating which cards do I actually want to play and how am I going to pay for those cards? Now, crucially, also the cards can be used to defend. So the cards in your hand have a printed defense value in the lower right hand card, in the lower right hand corner for the most of the cards do. And when your opponent attacks you, you can use your cards to defend. And if you're thinking about this like a resource managing game, your brain is probably already ticking because at the end of your turn, you draw to four cards and then you have to make it through your opponent's turn with them attacking you and to be able to play the cards on your next turn. So what I'm saying is you draw to four at the end of your turn, then your opponent takes their turn. They're going to attack you very likely on their turn, and you are going to have to decide how much you can defend and how much damage you are going to let through so that you still have enough cards in your hand to play actions and pay for the actions you want to play. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm following. Paul, you got any questions? With most card games, you're drawing your card at the beginning of the turn. This one's making you draw at the end, which is then making you have to think further out. Is that correct? That is that that is correct. You have to be you, so you draw at the end of your turn. That means, and like I said, your cards are your they're they're used to play for effect. They're used to pitch for resources, and they're used to defend. And you only get four of them on your turn at the end of your turn. So you and that's broadly speaking, right? There are, as you know, in war games, there are lots of ways to break the rules. So there are certain ways you can draw a fifth card. There are there's a, a zone in your on your player area called an arsenal where you can save a card for later. There's little tricks you can do, but for the most part, you are going to have four cards in your hand at the end of your turn, and then it's going you're going to turn the turn over to your opponent, who then is going to be dealing with the cards that they were left from your last turn, and they are going to be trying to attack you and put damage through to you, and you are going to have to decide how much damage you're going to take and how much you're going to defend with the cards in your hand that will still allow you to be effective on your next turn. That is an interesting mechanic. It's interesting that changing where card draw happens in a turn changes the feel of the game. It changes it completely. And it's also not that you, you it's not like other card games where you draw one card at the end of your or at the beginning of your turn because that's a, that's your standard card game rhythm, right? You draw a card at the beginning of your turn. This is you return to your full hand size at the end of your turn. So the game so what that's doing is it's rewarding aggression. The game wants you to play your whole hand. And and since your cards are multi-use, you never have a dead hand, right? You're not going to, it's not Magic the Gathering. You're not going to draw your opening card, your opening seven and have no mana and not be able to do anything. Or right. the convert, or, right? Or the, the other side of that is drawing seven mana or six and being like, oh, fr- you know, what am I going to do now? So that's like one of the, the first two big things. Now, another thing that's very interesting about this game, you guys. So when you use a card to block or you play it for its ability, which is going to be like attacking or enhancing attacks or doing, you know, whatever the card says, 
you those cards go to your graveyard. That's familiar, right? right? Once you when you when you discard a card or use a card, it goes to your graveyard. That's not what happens when you pitch cards for resources. So when you pitch a card for resources, it goes into a separate pile called your pitch pile. And at the end of your turn, you return those cards to the bottom of your deck in any order that you want. Okay. And so what that means is toward the end of the game, you're going to start seeing the cards that you pitched at the beginning of the game. And it's, it's really the mid to, to two thirds part was where you start, you start running into those cards you pitched. And the other thing that happens here is that remember when I said that cards can be pitched for either one, two or three resources. The thing I didn't mention to you is that most cards have three versions. So you have a card called Overpower as an example. And Overpower exists in a one resource version, a two resource version, and a three resource version. The version that pr provides one resource when you pitch it hits really hard. The version that pitches for three resources doesn't hit hard at all. So really you're pitching cards so this way later on in the game you know what cards you're going to be pulling. Correct. And what that creates now is that, that because the way you, you know, if you think about this in your early game, you're very likely to be pitching your three resource cards to pay for the things you want to do. Right. But if you only pitch those, those three resource cards, then your end game is going to have a lot of weaker attacks. And the thing that that feels like thematically is your warrior tiring out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be because you start the game in your strongest position, right? It's like it's like the opposite of a standard uh, card game where you're building a tableau to do big things. You start this game healthy and robust, and as your deck depletes and you start working into the cards you've previously pitched, it feels like your character is getting tired because they can no longer hit as hard. And, and that creates this fascinating dynamic. And then there's also that back and forth dynamic, right? Like when you're going back and forth, uh, like how many cards am I going to use this turn? Am I going to be able to hit back to my opponent? And then crucially, there's this like amazing thing that happens where your opponent's like, you've seen your opponent do some stuff on their turn. They're, they've used all their cards to pitch and you see them th lay down a six power attack and you're like, okay, they've used all their cards. I have three cards left in my hand, but if I keep all three of these cards, I'm going to be able to hit them for like 12 damage next turn. So I'm just going to hold these three cards and eat that six damage. And then you get, you have a chance to like completely reset the tempo, right? Cause on your next turn, if they haven't prepared properly or they don't draw into cards to help them defend well, they might not be able to, to handle that 12 damage without blocking with their entire hand. And then all they can do on their following turn is draw back because they don't have any cards to use. And it can create these like amazing tempo swings. Oh, dude, it's so cool. Um, but now getting past that, let's just quickly talk about this, the, the hero classes, because it, you know, we're talking to war gamers here and we, war gamers, you know, they want it there. They're like, all right, what's the army's play style? You know what I'm saying? Like, what am I, what am I looking at here? Um, and, and we're going to look at the eight classes as if they were eight factions, because truly that's how it is. Because when you open a pack of cards, there are some generic cards that every class can take, but there are also war, like class specific cards. So, so quick question, Chas, before you get into the factions uh, breakdowns, um, because, you know, so I, I do have a little bit of experience with 
uh, Magic, and my kids play Pokemon, so I have I have some limited knowledge in terms of the the TCG. So the way those two games, those card games work is when you when you buy a pack, it's it's blind. You can get you know a red card, black card, white card, green card, etc. For Magic, is it kind of the same thing when you're buying a pack for this game? You know, is it the same thing? It's randomized, or can you target specific characters? You can. So you can't target specific characters, but the card, the the set, there it is intelligent. Because uh, the game is actually designed to be drafted um, and played in limited play, which is that you open six packs and build a deck. Mm-hmm. And so the way that it works is that every pack has a selection of generic cards. So the first four cards in the deck are generic commons. Then you get a piece of equipment. Uh, and from there, you get you get ch- two rare cards and a foil. And the rare cards can be any class. They can be generic or any class. And the foil can be any class, any rarity. And then behind that, you have six cards, which are class-based. And they are – it's always one per class, but some of the classes have two. Okay. So you open a pack of cards and you're – you know, if you're looking for wizard cards in a pack of Arcane Rising, you can reasonably assume you're going to pull two out of the pack, like every pack. Um, But the thing is, you're generally, you know, buying – three to draft or six to build a deck. And at that point now you have 20 or so that you can choose from. Uh, and then you also have generics to fill out the rest. Um, and I will say that if you buy a box, so if you buy a box of 24 boosters, you are going to have enough to build basic decks with all four classes in the box and a very competent deck for at least one of them. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So and that that actually spares me of talking about a little bit later mm-hmm. on down the road. Well, I was glad but, I was able to help. Yeah, but that's um that's a that's how that works. So you can't necessarily target what you want, but there's also a robust singles market and it's a trading card game, right? And you know, I actually just got done trading a bunch of cards with my buddy Howard. So um that's that's how it goes. You know, you you find the class and the playstyle you like, and then you trade away the ones you don't like for more better cards of the class you do. So, as with all games, this one's more fun with friends. Right, of course. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get into these classes. Um, I'll just go through them quickly so we're not talking about the game for two hours. Um, you have Guardian. Uh, Guardian is, in, in card game terms, is what's called a ramp. Um, and basically how it works is that what the Guardian does is it has cards called auras that make their following turns more powerful. Um, and generally the thing with guardians is that they also have very expensive cards. Like they have cards that cost six resources to use. That means you have to pitch, you know, six reasons, like two, three resources or three twos, right? You have to pitch a lot to be able to play a six cost card, but those six cost cards hit hard. Uh, and the way guardian, the main play style of guardian is this very methodical tempo of, blocking and withstanding multiple turns to build to one huge almost undefendable turn on your opponent's side and so what you're doing with guardian is is your your plays are making your most efficient defenses so that you can make big swings every other or third so basically a tank a tank exactly so that's your guardian next up you have your ninja and your ninja is what's called a wide hero 
So what that means is it wants to play lots of attacks. Uh, the general flow of this game is that on your turn, you have one action point. And so that's one of the constraints that you have to work with in the game is that you can only play one card that says action out of your, out of your hand. So just as an example, I can read you a warrior action. Uh, and we'll just pick one at random here. Uh, well, actually, no, there aren't any good examples of a warrior action that has a, well, okay, I'll use the weapon that the warrior has. So it says one resource attack. Uh, and then it lets you attack for three with the war, with the warrior, but that uses your action point. And so once that's played, the only other cards you could potentially play on your hand, on your turn are instant cards. Now, there is a concept in this game called go again. Now, go again is usually rare and expensive. And what go again means is once this attack resolves, replenish your action point. Now, this is important because the ninja, just about all their attacks say go again. But none of them hit particularly hard. So what the ninja is trying to do is overwhelm your your opponent's defenses with a lot like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, it sounds like a I guess what would be considered a traditional Zerg deck from other TCG games. Yeah, it's or go, going wide is what is to how people are referring to it now and that, and a zerg deck is probably a similar concept right where you're just trying to like nick so, your opponent to death right usually it's like a bunch of cheap cards that you throw out that get a lot of early damage real quick to overwhelm your opponent and how that works in this game is you have lots of cards that are zero or one cost that have go again and so you're you're doing your best to do lots of little attacks following from there we have our brute which is an amazing class it is it's the risk reward class. So if you like the class that's big risk, big reward, that's your brute. And so what your brute is doing is they, they have a lot of mechanics that gamble. So like you roll a dice and then depending on how the dice goes, you get a reward for it. Um, but they also have a mechanic where when you play their really powerful cards, they force you to discard a card as an, as an additional cost to play them. But if the card that you discard is powerful, meaning in, in, in the mechanical sense, if it has an attack value of six or higher, the one you pitch, then the card that you're using gets a more powerful effect. And so the way you want to play the Brute efficiently is to use the cards in your hand so that all you have left are powerful cards to discard when you play so that you can reliably get those more powerful attacks off. Yes, that's Brute. Um, so now we're getting to one of my two favorite classes, and that's the Warrior. And so the way that Warrior uh, is presented on the on Legend Story Studios website, and I like this the best, is the Warrior exists in in the possible. Uh, and what that means is the Warrior deck is full of what are called attack reactions. And so this is going to get us talking a little bit more about the mechanics of the actual game when you're attacking. So this is what happens, you guys. I declare an attack. And I put the attack out onto what's called the combat chain. And when I declare an attack, now it is up to you to decide what you are going to defend with. After you have defended, it moves to what's called the reaction step. And in the reaction step, I am allowed to play attack reactions, and then you are allowed to play defense reactions. And so the warrior is full of attack reactions. My warrior deck has 18 of the 40 cards in my deck are attack reactions. Dang. So, so 
what it is, is when you're playing, it's more important to think about playing against Warrior than it is to define the actual play style of the Warrior. The Warrior exists to bluff. Because what happens is I'm attacking you and I have pitched a card for three resources and used one resource to swing for three. You're looking at my at my pitch pile and seeing I have two resources left to pay and I have two cards left in my hand. So you're like, oh God, what are the attack reactions that he's holding? Are they attack reactions? And so it's that that is where the warrior lives. The warrior lives in forcing your opponent to make bad decisions because they genuinely can't reliably predict what you're doing and when you are in a positive resource uh, position. Interesting. So yeah, it's I love playing warrior, and so that's warrior. So now we have rune blade. Rune blade is our first class to talk about that can deal arcane damage because so there's physical and arcane damage, and both of these are defended differently. Now, the way the rune blade works is it's sword and sorcery. So if you're into both physically hitting and overwhelming your opponent with magic, um, rune blade is the class for you. It's a little complicated to describe outside of that, other than to say that they have a reliable way of, of creating what are called rune chants. And then whenever you attack, the rune chants basically turn into shards of glass that hit your opponent. What you're doing is you're, it's another ramp class like the Guardian, where you're generally spending a turn to generate rune chance and then attacking the following turn so that you have, you put an attack and a bunch of rune chance through and you're forcing your opponent to block on both physical and arcane fronts. So that's that. Um, now we have my second favorite class. That's Mechanologist. So Mechanologist is the Sonic the Hedgehog class. I don't know. It, <laughs> So this is the this is the glass cannon. And the reason I say, well, maybe the wizard is better described as a glass cannon, but the way the mechanologist works is it has a it has a mechanic called boost. And the way boost works is just about every card in the mechanologist arsenal has a keyword called boost on it. And what boost says is that when you play this card as an additional cost, banish the top card of your deck, and if you do, this card gets go again. But banished cards, you don't have a reliable way of getting back with Mechanologist. So what this means is in order to boost, in order to go wide like a ninja does, you have to sacrifice additional cards. So you have to basically pay with two cards for every one you play if you boost. But they put through heavier damage attacks than the ninja does. So what that means is you are allowed to go wide at the cost of eating through your deck quickly. And so what you're, what you're basically trying to do is kill your opponent before you deck yourself. You don't die when you run out of cards in this game, but you also can't pay for anything if you don't have any cards right. left. So basically, once you run out of cards, your opponent's just going to beat you to death. All right. So that's that. The Ranger, and this is where we get to talk about another, and I love this, talking about it by the class, because I can introduce one mechanic to you at a time. So the Ranger exists to play with a area in the game called the arsenal. Now, now we get to talk about the arsenal. So once you've gone through your, your turn in this game and you're getting ready to draw back up to your hand size, if your arsenal is empty, you are allowed to put one of the cards you have left in your hand face down into your arsenal and then draw back up to your hand size. Now, the disadvantage to the arsenal is that you can only play cards from the arsenal. You cannot defend with cards from the arsenal, and you cannot pitch 
You can only play them. But what the, what the cool thing about the, uh, ranger is, is the ranger's attacks are arrows and all the arrows do additional effects if you fire them from arsenal. So you're basically knocking your bow and then firing. I like it. And also the ranger has ways of loading additional cards into your, into their arsenal outside of the standard. So like the normal rule is that you can only put cards into your arsenal at the end of your turn, but the ranger cards have a keyword called reload that allows them to put additional arrows into their arsenal outside of that standard schema. So the warrior, the, the, the ranger is a tricky class, but also very fun. And then we have the wizard and the wizard is insane. Uh, so our, our current wizard actually starts with 25% less health than any other hero. Okay. Why is that? You can play cards on your opponent's turn. (laughs) (laughs) So at any point, the wizard can pay three resources to play the card off the top of their deck as if it was an instant. And that's why there's this like meme and there's a lot of playmats out there that have the wizard. And it says, "Uh, -uh, I believe you mean our turn. (laughs) (laughs) Like it. Uh, the, I, I will attest it's it's difficult to play the the wizard well, uh, but it is gross and extremely powerful. And generally, the wizard's game plan is to uh, essentially get to their get their opponent down to a certain amount of health, and then and here's the the rub, right? Because once you're playing against a wizard, and let's say you're down to six health, like I'm at six health, and I'm playing against a, a wizard, I never ever ever want to play down to zero cards in my hand. Because as soon as I play to zero cards in my hand, that means I have no resources to defend with. And my it's very likely the wizard will be like, okay, and now I am going to pitch a card and play this card and deal six damage and you're dead and you have no defense. And so what the, what the wizard is trying to do is ping their opponent down to the point that they can interrupt their own turn, the, their opponent's turn to kill them. It's pretty cool. The wizard is very, very cool. And that gives you our, our classes. Now, another part to, to talk about in this game is the, the deck building, because I know you guys are concerned about deck building. Yep. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, so we talked about the fact that the cards have, um, multiple resource values. And I'm going to actually start using the common vernacular. So red cards pitch for one, yellow cards pitch for two, and blue cards pitch for three. Um, and I'll try to refer to them both ways. So it's, it's both reinforcing and not confusing. Right. And so the car, so basically the way that the game works is you can include in, in there's two formats, standard and blitz. And we're just going to talk about blitz or classic constructed and blitz. And then blitz is the faster version of the game. Your heroes start with 20 health and you're allowed to have 40 cards in your deck. Classic constructed is your, your characters start with 40 health instead of 20. All right, so classic, you start with 40 health, and you can bring a 60-card deck. Um, and then Blitz is Blitz is 20 health with 40 cards. Now, in Blitz, you're allowed to have two copies of every card that's unique. But the game defines unique by pitch value. So if you have a card called Warrior's Valor, for example, you can bring two copies of the red or one pitch two copies of the yellow or two pitch and two copies of the blue. So you could have six copies of Warrior's Valor that all have different levels of efficacy depending on what you're using them for. Um, And this is all important to say that like decks are 
generally half common cards because the common cards are both powerful and essential. Um, and I, I want to mention that because, you know, people are going to be concerned about how much money you have to spend to get into flesh and blood. Um, and I just want to put it out there that like you can build and have fun with your friends with decks that don't have a ton of rare cards. Because if you think about it, you have 40 cards and maybe you have a common card called uh, Iron Song Response as a warrior and you want to have six copies. That's a significant portion of your deck, right? Mm-hmm. The two, two and two is, a, is six of 40. So that's a big percentage. Another thing, I'm trying to think what else, what else I want to hit on. Another thing is outside of that 40 card deck, you also bring your hero and their equipment. And this is another part of this game that's really interesting because I know, Paul, specifically, you're really into resource management. And so when you're, when you're playing flesh and blood, you are allowed to bring your hero and their weapon or weapons. So you have two weapon slots, but only two hands. So if you have one handed weapons, you can bring two. If you have a two handed weapon, you can only bring one. That's pretty self-explanatory. But then you also have a head, chest, arms, and leg slot. And this, my friend, is spicy because there are different types of equipment like iron rot equipment. And iron rot equipment can only be used to block. And then once you've used it to block, it's destroyed. But that allows you to break that little rule of the game where you can block some damage without having to sacrifice cards from your hand. But once you block with it, it's broken. Then you also have cards like null rune equipment. And null rune equipment allows you to pitch resources to block arcane damage. Okay. So that's the way you can block arcane damage. But also, you have equipment that has something called Battle Worn. And what that means is you can use it to block. But once you block with it, it doesn't get destroyed because the, the equipment that's Battle Worn generally also has powerful effects with them. Like, for example, refraction, refraction Bolters. And I'll read this to you. It says, when a weapon you control hits, you may destroy Refraction Bolters. If you do, the attack gains go again. Mm-hmm. So that can be used once per game to give yourself an additional attack when you need that crucial moment to play that attack through. And knowing when to use that once per game effect is incredibly important to playing the game well. So you're now you're understanding that your equipment is also a resource. Yep. And you only have to select your equipment once you've seen your opponent's hero. So in general, you in Blitz, you bring your 40 cards and then you can bring 11 pieces of equipment. And once your opponent flips their hero, you can choose your hero, their weapon, and then their four pieces of equipment that you would like to take into that hero to give you the best chance of winning. So another little bit of resource management. It reminds me a little bit of the like uh, crew building in Malifaux, right? Where that's exactly what I was thinking. Of. Where you uh, you see who your opponent's bringing, and then you're like, okay, they're bringing the rune blade. That means I need at least one piece of null rune gear so that I can pay to block some of that arcane damage that's coming in. But also, I want to be able to bring my refraction bolters so that I can get go again when I need it, etc., etc. Right? Yeah, I, I like that idea. Except for you know, then instead of coming in with like pre-built decks, I like that a lot better. Yeah, and you do have the pre-built decks, but your equipment is like uh, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it helps. I think it helps balance it. Yeah, and then talking about standard, when we so we talk about classic constructed, it's a little different than blitz. In classic construction, the way it works is you get to bring eighty cards. 
11 of those cards can be equipment, and then you use the remaining cards to build your 60-card deck. And so what what that generally means is you have your 60-card deck and a 9-card sideboard. So that if, you know, if your opponent brings a class and you're like, oop, they're bringing wizard, I need to make sure I bring some specific anti-wizard tech, you can pull cards out of your deck and put those anti-wizard tech cards into your deck. Okay, I like that. So that's the that's the classic instructed bit. And at this point, I mean, we've we've talked about basically the way the game works and the game flow is it's alternating activations, if you will. Right. (laughs) So you take alternating turns. You have your start of turn, your action phase, which is where you generate one action point. uh, And then you play the cards that you can play to do the attacks that you can based on your hero's play style. And then you draw back up to four and do your best to defend and do what you need to do on your opponent's turn and go back and forth until one of your heroes dies. And so the thing that makes this game especially spicy is the amount of a resource management and efficient use of cards, right? Because knowing what your opponent can do, or at least, you know, a little bit of the potential of what they're going to be able to do. uh, So, you know, what to block, knowing what cards to keep so that you can pitch efficiently to attack efficiently to force your opponent into bad decisions, um, and then also playing the tricks of your class to the best of your ability so that you're, you can basically outthink your opponent. And in a lot of ways, that, pa- that parallels a minis game. Right. Yeah, I think so. So I, mean, I think I'm, I'm hoping that you're able to start to see uh, like what I find so appealing about this game. So that was going to be my next question for you, Kevin. As a war gamer, what are the experiences in this game that would appeal to me? Uh, I, I think specifically, it, especially somebody who's into games like Infinity, Bushido, Malifaux, the games that have lots of complex overlapping, like War Hordes, Song of Ice and Fire, right? These games that have like lots of complex decisions and where it's like it's not one decision or like a decision tree every 20 minutes. It's like you're constantly playing right? Like you are always involved in this game and the game is very conversational. So to, to the war gamer that likes those very crunchy back and forth decisions. And I mean, like every, when you look at this game, it looks like a tug of war, but every tug and every like, uh, like inch that you give on the rope matters because at the end of the game, it's all about who can deal the death blow. And so playing through that early and mid game is as important as being able to land that death blow. And every decision along the way matters. The damage you let through with your health as a resource matters. The cards that you use for defense matters. Um, because we haven't talked about the fact that there are also defense reaction cards that can only be used during the defense reaction step. There are defense cards that defend for two. There are defense cards that defend for three. Like, so, and, and generally the cards that defend for three are cards that have very powerful effects. So you'd rather not use them to defend if you don't have to. Right. And so efficiently using your cards and and making those decisions correctly and properly. And you think about it, it's like making the right positioning decisions in a war game, activating your models in the right order in a war game, using the right abilities and picking proper threat tar- like assessment, attacking the right targets at the right times. All of those skills are skills you'll use playing flesh and blood. Well, that certainly answered my question. Yeah, I mean, when you were talking about like the, the once per... The ones for game ability and, and, and trying to figure out when the right time it is to use it that really made me think like oh, that sounds a lot like War Machine. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your feet. Yeah. It's a lot like using a feet for sure. You know, and the other thing is you know, the the cards that are very rare, um, like the majestic cards, those typically only exist in one one pitch value. Um, so like I'm looking at singing steel blade for an example, which is a yellow pitch value card, but since it only exists in yellow, that means I only have two of them in my deck, right? Because I can't have six of them because they don't exist in red and yellow. So that makes them inherently more valuable because I'm less likely to see them every turn. Right. Um, and so that's another thing to even think about while you're, you know, resource managing through your deck and, and, and the like big brain second level play shit is like pitching cards so that they come back to you in the exact order that you can make good plays later in the game because you pitched cards in the order so that when you draw them, they allow you to do good stuff when you redraw them later. Yeah, that is pretty, yeah. So it, there's a, there's just a lot to it, right? Like when we talk about like first and second level play in this game, there's a, this game has a, a, it's, it's a very low skill floor and a sky high skill ceiling, which generally makes the game just right. Yes. Um, and the other thing that makes a game good is, is near infinite design space, um, and so it's important to talk about that this game's horizontal design space is massive, you guys. Like, absolutely massive. There are already eight characters. They are introduced there, and there are eight different classes. The new set has three repeating classes and another new one. So there are going to be nine classes in the game coming up with a couple repeats. So we're going to get a second brute, a second warrior, and a second rune blade in the set that's coming out. And actually, the set will be out as this releases. It's called Monarch. And even outside of that, they are, they have just released another layer of depth to the deck building aspect and that there are now what are called talents. And so instead of a warrior, you have a light warrior and the light warrior is now allowed to deck build with neutral cards, warrior cards, and light cards and light warrior cards. Uh, you're getting into some of that like cross class kind of gameplay now. Yeah, and so and, and what that means now is those when you were asking about like targeting cards in your packs, Potter, that mm-hmm. makes your packs more efficient. Because right. let's say you like your you like the two light classes, which are going to be Warrior and the new class Illusionist. You're always going to get uh, like a couple light cards, a couple neutral cards, uh, Illusionist card, and a Warrior card in a pack, right? Um, and you're going to be able to use those light cards with both the light warrior and the light illusionist, as well as the generic cards, which can be used for all the classes. That's awesome. And and since they're doing that now, if you think about it, like now they can like just like crack the game wide open. They can keep introducing new classes with new talents, and then they can also introduce the same classes but with different talents so like a light warrior might play very different than a warrior that has a talent in a future set and have a completely different play style even though they have access to some of the same card pool that's to speak to the future of the game a little bit well i mean that's good that they're looking at that you know because that yeah that adds that diversity that allows that growth and you know that is something that I've always not really liked about TCGs and stuff like that, you know, and again, it's all, like you said earlier in the show, it's all about, you know, it's always better when you're playing with friends because, you know, I see my kids, 
you know, all the time. They'll open up a pack of Pokemon cards and, you know, like, oh, I already got this and they'll trade with each other, which is great. You know, so, but, you know, when I'm only collecting, it, it kind of stinks and not being able, you know, getting things that you already have or you don't need, it, it kind of stinks. And that's one of the reasons I've been, I stay away from those games. Yeah. And this also, it, the, the, what you said, it reminds me, it kind of avoids the guild ball problem where in guild ball, they could go wide and release a new guild, but that didn't help any of the old guilds. Right. When they released a new one where in flesh and blood, if they introduce a new set and the new, you're like, oh shit, the new set has a wizard in it. I love my wizard. That means I'm going to have new set. I'm going to have a new wizard to play. And I'm also going to have new cards that my old wizard can use. And I can see what kind of new play styles it opens up for Kano. My, you know, the wizard I've been playing for a year. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, also, and uh, some more positives, Legend Story Studios, the company that designed this game, has designed this game with like gamers in mind in, in that like the the booster boxes themselves are designed like as a party in a box. And, and what I mean is like you can buy one of these boxes and then you can take it to, uh, you know, play with either four or eight of your friends. And like basically everybody chips in a little money and then you can have either a sealed a little sealed thing where you, you know, try building decks and playing against each other or you do a big booster draft and you can play that way. That's super cool. Like right out the gate. And it actually says it on the box. Like the box itself is like this 24 pack supports an eight man draft pod or four sealed decks. So that's good both for players that want to go and have a big home game like with some friends or it's also really good for stores that want to move product when we talked about the lcg the the living card game problem at the bottom of the show this is what i was talking about is that all lcgs are doing is forcing a gamer to come in once every other month and pay 15 bucks for a pack of cards that has a low margin and then they don't have to buy another pack for two months maybe or maybe six months if we're like in between like major set releases right where this creates more of that like uh, we'll call it like Fab Friday, right? You want to have Fab Friday at your uh, at your local shop, and you want to make sure your local shop is supported, and you're not just going in there to buy a pot of paint or you know like a soda. No, nah, man, you can go in and buy three packs of cards, and then play in a booster draft with the other players that show up for the event. And so it's really good at moving product. It's a very like it's designed, and and the reason that the game is called Flesh and Blood. I mean, it's, it's kind of a double entendre, right? Because it is a game about warriors doing battle with each other. So that's flesh and blood, but it's also called flesh and blood because the designers intentionally made this game to be played in person. And James, the designer, the lead designer of the game has said that that is the reason that the game is named what it is because it is designed to play in the flesh and blood at local game stores. They want to be that life raft. They want to be the thing like magic that helps local game stores stay alive. That's awesome. I I really appreciate that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Precisely. No, I, I I like I like that. Yeah. I mean, even even if I never played the game, I can you know I can appreciate them doing that because anyone anyone that's going to go out there and support build a game specifically designed to help and support the the FLGSs, that's amazing, and I I'm behind that 100. percent Right. It's it's for the whole ecosystem. It's 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 like meticulously balanced for the players and marketed in a way that's good for the game store. It's like it's so you can say what you want about the TCG model. I don't love it. I actually wrote on here. What the fuck is this? 1996 TCG is what are we talking about this for? Like 
it's a it's it feels like an old antiquated business model but the fact of the matter is if you go to an lgs the reason that lgs is open is because of magic the gathering like the reason you have a place to go play even if you think magic sucks you better thank magic that it exists because if it didn't your local game store wouldn't just period right um unless you're playing at a game club right where you're paying dues like the, that's the magic. The gathering is what keeps the lights on. And I, I don't even think that's disputable. It's just a fact. And so uh, that's, that's part of, of the, the, the business model of the game, but that also gets into the collectability aspect. And I want to just hit on this a little bit because there is some like toxicity and things and problems. And also I've seen a lot of people mentioning that when the fab bubble pops, it's going to like, you know, cause a bunch of havoc or whatever. And the game's going to tank because the bubble will pop. Um, but I feel like what a lot of people are talking about there they, is concepts that go above their head. Um, and, and the thing about a bubble, so we think about like Beanie Babies, right? Um, the thing about a bubble is a bubble is caused by scarcity uh, and desire, right? And you'll also notice that Magic the Gathering has been around going on 30 years. Right. Clearly, it is possible to have a card game without the bubble. You'll also note that there are no more cards like the Black Lotus in Magic the Gathering. Because what Wizards of the Coast masterfully did in the late 90s was pivot out of power cards. They don't print them anymore. They don't print cards that are ultra rare and ultra powerful because what that creates is a toxicity and it creates a bubble that will pop, especially if they keep printing and printing and printing, right? And you better believe that that Legend Story Studios has thought this through. And the rarity model in their packs is that there, there are increasing rarities. So there are commons, rares, majestics, legendaries, and fabled cards. And each of those cards, like a lottery ticket, has odds of pulling them. So common cards, you're always going to get nine or whatever, or 11 in a pack, right? You're always going to end up with common cards. You're always going to get at least two cards that are rare. Now, also, every six cards or every, uh, sorry, every six packs, you're going to pull a majestic card. That's the odds. The odds are every sixth pack is going to contain a majestic and one in every 48 packs or so, or I think it's one in every 96 packs is going to have a legendary. So that means that, so legendaries are pretty rare, right? Right. Now, in one booster pack in every 48 boxes, I think, or 48 cases. So we're talking about like one times 24 times 48. That's the odds of playing a fabled card. They are extremely rare. One in thousands of packs, right? Very, very rare. I, I'm dumb. I can't do that math in my head. Someone will know it right off the top and be like cursing at us. Anyway, you, you, I don't need to like lecture you on how rare that is because you think a case has a case has four boxes. A box has 24 boosters and one pack out of 48 cases has a fabled card. Now, here's the genius. Here's the genius thing that Legend Story Studios has done. Those fabled cards, you want to know how good they are? Meh. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how good they are. They are meh. <laughs> and, and they're meh on purpose. And the reason that they're rare is so that it gives it, it and if think about the, if you think about the devious genius of this. So what they are doing is they are creating cards that are ultra rare so that people who have to collect whales 
want to buy just a shitload of product so they right. can get they can get those ultra rare cards. And when we're talking ultra rare, man, there so the first edition fabled for the first set, Welcome to Wraith, it's called the Heart of Find All. That thing just like someone just sold one at auction for forty thousand dollars. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you heard me. Forty thousand US dollars for a card that's meh. Yeah, because it's and, a collector. Because it's a. Co- I, I like it that your your ultra rares are meh, and it gives something. Pe- it gives pe- people that want to chase something to chase. Forty grand. Yeah, well, I'm okay. doing the wrong thing with my career. So, but here's the thing. So, the, so there are. <laughs> That's, I'm going on Twitch and open packs. Yeah, man. Here's the here's the thing though. So there are two different ways the game is printed. There's a first printing and there's an unlimited printing. Only the first printing version of that card is worth that much. the The unlimited printing of that card is worth about eight hundred dollars, which is still like not oh, a trivial. So- I mean, I, still, I, I, buy, <laughs> I buy six. I buy six of these. So, how much is a twenty-four a box of twenty-four packs? You said like eighty bucks at retail. Okay, so you buy ten of those, and you might have a chance. You have a, like a one in four chance of pulling one of those. And if you pull one, you just earn your money back. Correct. Not to mention all the other good cards you pull. Right, all the other other car, small cards you're going to sell, and now that now you're getting to the devious part. This is the part I was talking about, you guys. It instantly creates a secondary market because the whales are going to go and they're going to buy a pallet of these fucking cards and open every pack in the pallet, and now they have a pallet's worth. They have maybe one or two of those fabled cards and an absolute shitload of cards to sell. This is why so, I can't buy my kids Pokemon cards right now because these whales went out and bought everything, and now the the manufacturer can't make it fast enough. <laughs> but it, it creates it creates a secondary market instantly, and also the secondary market for this game is cheap. Like if you're not hunt, like buying the first three rarities of cards, so like your commons, rares, majestics, um, not a ton of money. Like. That you're not like you're not looking at spending a lot of money if you want to fill out. So like you buy one or two boxes, right? So you spend, let's say you like the Guardian a lot. You know the Guardian cards are in the set Welcome to Wraith. So you buy two boxes of Welcome to Wraith for 160 bucks. You open all the packs that you get. You have fun. And let me tell you, opening packs is more fun than you think it is, you guys. Holy hell, man. That triggers your Vegas brain like nobody. It's like a slot machine. It's so fun to like pull back that because you know what slot the high rarity cards are going to be in. So you're like slowly peeking through the cards, waiting for that rare card to pop in and see what you get. Anyway. Um, but you see what you got out of your 48 packs, you build your decks, you trade your cards away. And then if you want to fill your deck out with the the best cards, you're like maybe another 40 to 60 bucks. And so out, out of that $200 that we're talking about now, you're getting to open the 48 packs, have a shitload of fun, build your decks, and you can now build decks, competent decks for all four classes, but also you have your your main guardian. You're going to trade away some of your cards to get better guardian cards and then fill out your deck. And 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 again, that's the, the cost of like an army for a war game, right? So right. if, if you wanted to make that initial purchase into playing 10 Thunders, it's not unreasonable to think you would spend $200. Correct. Yeah. No, that's that's accurate. And, and so I think that's a pretty a pretty accurate buy-in, right? So you, you think about buying two boxes and then filling out singles if you don't just trade for the singles you need and and you're in there. 
Um, so that it's pretty cool, I think. But yeah, I think that is what I had to say about flesh and blood. I've, uh, I, 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 I can always tell because my throat starts to get a little bit sore that I've talked a lot. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How much time do you have played in the game? Right now? Uh, like 15 hours. Oh, wow. So at this point, what would you say is your most memorable experience? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I have a couple. So one of my favorite moments so far, um, I was playing against my friend Howard. He's he's really into Ranger right now. So he's playing Azalea, the Ranger. Um, and he's been doing a lot of meticulous tinkering and doing stuff. And one of my favorite moments in the game so far uh, was me playing Viserys, the Rune Blade. And I'm just like getting my hands on the class and I'm like grinning ear to ear, looking at my hand because I have a card called Blade of the Ninth Blood Oath. And that card does does nine damage on its own. And then I had another 11 rune chance on this side. So I was like, I'm about to do 20 damage to Howard. This is a ludicrous amount of damage and he's not going to be able to block all of it. And I was like, yeah. And I blew my whole load, used my whole hand, nothing left. And Howard very smoothly uh, flipped up a defense reaction that let him block f- uh, like four right off the top. And then used his armor and the rest of his hand to block the entire thing. At which point, like, he wasn't able to do much his next turn. But, like, I was completely out of gas. Like, that was, like, my power card, my power move. I blew the rune chance that I had been setting up for three turns uh, on this attack. That eventually that just turned into, like, a wet fart. You know? <laughs> like, uh, and I was like, no. <laughs> and then he went to shoot me in the face a couple times with arrows. That specifically, very cool moment. Uh, so another another thing. So we were talking about my my two favorite classes, warrior and mechanologist. I'm gonna talk about dash for a second. One of my favorite moments of dash is every turn I draw a card called zero to sixty, because zero to sixty is the most aptly named card possible. It is a zero cost card that does a fair amount of damage, and you are allowed to boost it for go again. So it is. Every turn you draw it, like the perfect opening to your hand. And it's like the most fun thing to just like look at your opponent and be like zero to 60. And then the next turn, zero to 60, zero to 60. Cause you're like, you're basically like going from the start of your turn where you're doing nothing to like letting them know what the rest of the turn is going to be like. Right. Cause like immediate, you're like, blip, here's a bunch of damage that I didn't have to pay anything, but play this card to do. And so, like, I just love playing Dash because 0 to 60 is such a fun card. Um, and you can have six copies of it in your deck, so I play it pretty much all the time. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a lot of copies for a card because I know usually – I think – most of them are limited, what, like three copies of one card? It's so it's it's two per pitch color, and zero to 60 exists in each pitch color. Uh, so you have the blue, which hits for two, the yellow, which hits for three, and the right, red, which right, hits right, for right, four. Right. Like, like you were saying, yep, yep, I'm remembering that now from the earlier part of the show. Yep, so every – but I, I mean, I just play zero to 60 with reckless abandon. I'm like, hey, here we go, <laughs> zero to 60. We're starting the turn. So, so I'm a war gamer. I've never done a TCG. I'm looking at Flesh and Blood. What characters would you recommend as a novice that are would be a lot easier to grasp and get somebody more hooked into the game instead of playing picking something that's difficult and getting burnt real quick and getting dropping out? Ninja, Brute, and Mechanologist. So okay. uh, Ninja and Brute are in the set Welcome to Wraith. 
and Mechanologist, which is in the set Arcane Rising. Um, those are like the three, like, like very, like very easy to grasp and easy to play classes. Gotcha. But not bad, just straightforward. Right. They're more straightforward than everything else. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there are, there are, I think three potential ramps. And so we'll talk about them. Um, so Monarch is coming out and Monarch will have starter decks and the decks are they're what they're called hero blitz decks and so each of the four heroes has one so you can buy the the rune blade the warrior the brute or the illusionist and you get a 40 card deck with equipment um everything you need to play including some exclusive art rares um and those are 12 dollars at msrp oh very cool that's not bad at all I hesitate though because I don't know how easily they're going to be to get. Because, as you know, um, items that are off the normal path are valuable to everyone, right. and so those like special art cards that are in those things may mean that like everyone who plays Flesh and Blood wants a copy of them. So it's and we don't know how many they printed. So I don't know how easy it's going to be to get those decks. Hopefully you can get them, but that is a good ramp. And this will be a good time to be listening to the show because hopefully if you're listening to this within the week that Monarch came out, you'll still be able to buy some online for $12 a piece. So that's one ramp onto the game. Um, another ramp in is to buy a booster box. The, the MSRP of a booster box is supposed to be $76. So about $80 at MSRP is what you would expect. The standard markup right now is about $96. Now, $96 is actually the the true MSRP of 24 packs because packs typically retail for $399. So if you were going to buy the packs individually, because usually the way it works, right, is you could buy the packs individually, but you get a little bit of a discount if you buy a whole box at once. Mm -hmm. And so the way that usually translates is to that $96 for 24 packs is discounted down to $76. And that's usually um, the discount that you're getting. Um, that being said, most retailers right now, because this game is like white hot, are not discounting the boxes down. They're just selling them at straight flat MSRP or above. I would say if you can find a box for between 80 and 96 $6, that's a good way to and that's a really good way to start playing like honestly um, because a it gets you to open a box which is fun and i actually started playing with one box i bought one box and i opened the whole box and i built some decks and then i went and played with my buddy aaron and then we both went and bought way more boxes because <laughs> we were like holy shit this game is amazing um so who, who's also a war gamer by the way that that's ramp number two um, so the third ramp, there is a very reputable site online called T it's, it's called fabstarterdecks.com. So if you were to Google FAB, so flesh and blood starter decks, the fab starter deck site, that gentleman is a person who is a collector, but also outside of being a collector cares deeply about flesh and blood is based out of the U S and wants like, I think he's, in, he's very active in the flesh and blood Facebook community and very much wants the game to take off. And what he does is he makes curated starter decks for all of the classes and sells them for between nine and $12 on his website. Oh, wow. That is the third ramp. The third ramp I would suggest is fabstarterdecks.com because they offer what is 
right now an invaluable service to the community in that it's making cards that can be a little bit tricky to acquire right now because of COVID and printing restrictions and the extremely high desirability of the game for collectors right now. It can be hard to get your hands on it. And because of that, 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 um, fab decks or the fabstardex.com is a great resource and highly reliable at this point. Like this guy is very well known for delivering product. Um, so, uh, a very good way to start. And that's your third ramp. So the fab starter decks buying one of the, uh, legend story studios curated starter decks, if you can find them or just buying a booster box, I think those are your three best ways in. Sounds good. Um, outside of that, you know, the other thing is that we're going to be coming up on a, on a situation where stores are opening and where this game is going to be more widely available, um, potentially or hopefully. Right. And in the case where we're in the case where that's true, um, a sealed event, which what that means if for people who are not familiar, means you get six packs of cards and then you build a deck with those six packs. Those events typically cost $30 and usually are very well attended. If you've ever been to a, a game store on a Friday and seen Friday Night Magic, then you know that sealed events are popular. And, and those are usually drafts, but sometimes they're sealed too. Anyway, that, that doesn't matter. The, the point is you could go to a sealed event. And even if you're like, if I said that and you're like, palms are starting to get sweaty because you're like, what do I know about how many building a deck? The Legend Story Studios, even they have the best advice on their site. They're like, go play a sealed event. And this is what you do. You open your six packs, count the class you got the most cards for, and just put all those cards in a pile, and then count out your generic cards and put them in a deck that makes 30 cards and shuffle them and play them. Hmm. That is a very good way to get into the game too. So you could go potentially meet some new friends, spend 30 bucks on, like help your local game store by spending $30 at your local game store, have the experience of building your first deck and pulse, like demystify that process a little bit, right? Cause there's some like overwhelmingness to deck building. Um, so you can demystify it a little by following those simple instructions and then play, you know, shuffle some hands up and play some games. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say I'm one of those people that's behind that mystification of it. Like when I played magic in high school, or middle school, I guess I should say, um, you know, my cousin was already playing and he got me into it and it was just like, I just, I just was flabbergasted. I was like, how do I build a deck? What's good? I don't know. Like, uh, I'm lost. And it was just, it was overwhelming. Yeah. And, and here what they're saying, right. is like, get your six packs. Just, you know, if you got the most warrior cards, put all the warrior cards in a pile and combined it with generics, um, until you have 30 cards and then shuffle those together and play them. Because the act of playing it will help you deck build. Right. Right. Because you'll start to learn what's good and what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, that's a, that's another fourth potential ramp into the game. And that's Very that's cool. all I have. Well, then, how about final thoughts? I mean, my my final thoughts are that this, I, I hope that I'm right about this game. Like, I, I feel like generally I have a pretty good finger on the pulse, right? Like I can, I'm in with music and movies and, and games and video games. I can usually like sense a hit once I've played it. Um, and I hope that 10 years from now I can look at like flesh and blood being one of the premier card games in the scene. That's my final thought is that I hope that this game continues to execute the way that it has executed through its first sets. 
be the dominating force in the industry that it deserves to be for being such a well thought out and well designed game. Chris, how about your final thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a TCG player. I, I played some Hearthstone just because I was interested in it, and it's and it was an easy you know in like it's completely free and electronic, and I didn't have to spend money on it. I really like the character aspect of it where you're playing like, you know, warrior, shaman, mage, whatever. Like, so that, it definitely has my interest peaked. Um, I would not be adverse sitting down and having someone that already has cards and decks showing me how to do it and just see how it goes. Sweet. That's all I want, right? I just want people to give it a try. Yeah. I would not be adverse to sitting down and playing it. Normally, I'm adverse to TCGs. I'm not adverse to this. Yeah, if I could find the right person to sit me down and teach me and help me out with the game, I would absolutely be willing to give it a shot. Well, with them being so cheap, that's like, that's an easy end to me, I think. So just like, okay, I spent $12. I can give it a try. If if I don't like it, I'm only out 12 bucks. Yep. Like, that's a, that's a super smart way to do it, I think. For sure. Yeah, like... Hundred percent. I mean, because the thing is, is you know, probably what maybe you know, four out of ten uh, will probably stick with it. Well, let me know when you're going to order something, and I'll uh, look at it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you go to if you go to the the um, Fab uh, starter decks, you know, like I was mentioning that Reinar, uh, Katsu, and Dash were good starters, and it's those are nine dollars, fourteen dollars, and fourteen dollars respectively. <laughs> So pretty, pretty, I mean, that, that averages out to that $12 each for two decks, basically. So right. pretty good. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm interest is peaked. Sweet. I mean, like I said, that's all I wanted. A peaked interest was all I was, all I was yeah. hoping to do. I mean, you, you if I can, job. if I can peak your interest, Paul, I can peak any war gamers interest. <laughs> Well, honestly, the mechanics and the the resource uh, management, they're all things I really like about games in general. So uh, my interest is definitely uh, peaked on this. Awesome. Thing. Well, I mean, I, I guess, I, mean, I guess, like, if, you know, if you're looking at it from this standpoint, if you're not playing competitively, I mean, what's the sense of not, you know, not playing anything besides the pre-built deck that you already got as long as you're having fun with it? Cause, cause, cause I'm right there with you, man. Like the, the deck building aspect of it, it, like it brings my anxiety to 11. Like I just, I don't get it and I get frustrated with it. And like, cause I just don't know what, what stuff does. And again, I know, like you were saying, like just sit down and play a game. You're not going to know what it does until, uh, you know, you start sitting down and playing the actual game. So in, and I get that, but it's, I, there's always this stigma of such a high cost to, you know, TCGs and things like that. Like eventually you end up just buying and buying and buying. You get the Pokemon effect and, you know, now you're in it for all this money. And I'm like, I, it, I don't want to spend all this money and then finally get to it after I've spent hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, whatever, and find out, okay, no, I don't like it. Yeah. So, but there's nothing, but there's no, like, there's almost no risk in spending $48 on the four starters and then just right. having those to rotate through and play them. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, for, for a lot of us, that's, you know, cheaper than some of the boxes we buy for one infantry unit exactly. for a war game. And I, and I, yeah, it's a tag. Right. Yeah. And I promise you'll get, I like to say that it's a unit of space frames, but it's, that's cheaper And this than sure as hell passes range. the Christmas morning test. <laughs> right. No, I'm saying if you buy a starter deck, right? If you if you if you buy four starter decks for forty eight bucks, you're you're passing that test. 
All right. All right, guys. Um, anybody want to read us out? I do. All right, cool. Um, so thank you to our patrons. You guys are awesome. Um, thank you to our Discord members. You guys are even awesomer because there's a lot more of you, and we love you, every single one of you guys. And the, the Discord's great, so come hang out with us there. We have a lot of uh, conversations happening daily. Um, so join us there. Um, thank you to Static as a City uh, for the intro and outro music. And look us on the social media. Bye.